Louis, would you read Sonnet 94, Shakespeare Sonnet 94 to me? Eva, I would be delighted. It's like asking me to drink some fine wine. As long as you <laughs> promise to answer all the questions I will have about this afterwards. <laughs> all right. I don't promise. <laughs> okay, Sonnet 94 by Shakespeare. They that have the power to hurt and will do none, that do not do the thing they most do show, who, moving others, are themselves as stone, unmoved, cold, and to temptation slow. They rightly do inherit heaven's graces and husband nature's riches from expense. They are the lords and owners of their faces, others but stewards of their excellence. The summer's flower is to the summer sweet, though to itself it only live and die. But if that flower with base infection meet, the basest weed outbraves his dignity. For sweetest things turn sourest by their deeds. Lilies that fester smell far worse than weeds. <laughs> It's hard not to put a little, you know, yes, a little point in there at the end, isn't it? Yes. So, Eva, my first question is, well, actually, it's two questions I'd like to ask you. Uh, why do you find yourself at the age of 92 plus reading Shakespeare's sonnets? 92 and three quarters. 92, almost 93. Reading Shakespeare's sonnets, which are mostly about love. Um, romantic love. Uh, and why in particular did you want me to read 94 of all the, you know, there's 154 sonnets. And yeah. why this one? Well, as far as the answer to the first question is concerned, you think there is a date on love? I can say at the age of <clears throat> 61, I have not found that yet to be so. And I will tell you that at the age of 92 and three quarters, I have not found it to be the case either. Really? <clears throat> and the other one, uh, the other question is, why is it my favorite? Uh, because, look, I turned to the first page of my uh, book of the sonnets. And I have, a, I have a notation there. Rule for reading the sonnets. Go for the logic. And this is a sonnet that has a lot of logic in it. Oh. So you think there's an argument being there's made? There's an argument, yes. Okay, with a, with a beginning and premises but if and you think conclusion? that that entitles you to ask me what the argument is at moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm very interested. I mean, one of the things <clears> one hears about the sonnets as a schoolboy, um, I can remember this, is that, you know, they often begin with a certain problem. And he's got 14 lines, you know, three quatrains and a couplet to flesh it out and hopefully solve it, often in yes. the couplet. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like you're, at least in general, kind of agreeing yes. with that. You know, yes, except that I'm specifying what it means to set a problem. It means to engage in some sort of logically connected speech. Mm -hmm. And it leaves us with the interesting proposition 
that love and logic, passion, and thinking are closely intertwined. That's excellent. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, so, a plus? Yeah, but it's, so you mean it's not that love has a logic of its own that's kind of sort of different from what we normally no. use that word for. It is itself, itself. logical as, say, mathematics is logical. Yes, I, I think so. And you like 94 because it, it, it's particularly uh, exemplary in this way? Yes, that's one reason. But I have another more particular reason. Mm -hmm. um, it shows Shakespeare's... Well, you know, you and I teach at a school that makes uh, uh, fidelity and interest in texts, ancient and modern, uh, sort of our major enterprise. That's what we do. We read books. Over and over. Over and over. Well, here is Shakespeare showing that he was familiar both with Aristotle and with the Bible. Okay, so I can see the Aristotle. You know, let me make a suggestion at this point, and we'll get back to Aristotle yes. and the Bible. What if we went through the sonnet, we, we, quatrain by quatrain, and, and, yeah. and noticed things like the Aristotle yes. that's there, and just the talked about what jumps out at us? Let's do it. Okay. Because I think we meet Aristotle pretty quickly. Yeah, and the Bible yeah. at the end. Yeah, so first I'll do the first quatrain. Okay. They that have power to hurt and will do none, that do not do the thing they most do show, who, moving others, are themselves as stone, unmoved, cold, and to temptation slow. Yes. What do you notice? Well, uh... First of all, I notice that that's not the whole thought, right? Right. There's who no, are they? There's no verb. There's no verb. And Yet. Who are they? Yeah. And uh, what are their characteristics? But uh, here, here is, well, look, I'll confess. I confess that I used some com commentaries. Mm -hmm. I read some commentaries. I won't name them. But I found them uh, spectacularly unhelpful. Mm. They didn't tell me what it is that puzzled me. That is, who are they that have power to hurt and will do none, that do not do the thing they most do show? Who are they such that, as we soon learn, they are in some way particularly gifted, particularly rich. And I, in some way, are even comparable to the unmoved mover. Are even comparable. Of, of Aristotle. Yeah. Aristotle has the notion that there must be in a world where everything that's move, that moves is moved by something. Mm -hmm. There's got to be an ultimate being that moves without being moved, and that being seems to be referred to. So we find not only that Shakespeare is learned, that is to say that he knows his Aristotle, and later we'll know that we'll find that he also knows his Bible, but uh, we are presented with a wonderful proposition, which uh, I do not... I, I want to emphasize this, which the commentators who are learned and knowledgeable don't seem to have gotten. 
in my view, mm-hmm. which is that there is something particularly uh, poignant about them who have power to hurt and will do none. And here's how I understand that to work in a face of love. In When you're really in love, you would far rather be deeply hurt by something that is said or done to you by the person you love, then you would be ignored. Ah, okay. That is, they have power to hurt. They could address you and make you feel terrible, but they won't even do that. That is the worst. So I wanted to add, I mean, that opening line, I think is stunning. It's stunning, and and this is my interpretation of it. Yeah, so if I understand you, first there's that they opening line, which I think, by the way, is an inverted uh, stress, so it's a trochee rather than I am. They that have power to hurt and will do. That kind of thing interests me. So right away, he's grabbing you with this, and the they is repeated in following lines twice. Who are they anyway? But on the one hand, they're as great as the unmoved mover. There's something godlike about them. But at the same time, you're saying they're not, though they are movers, they're not doing what you would want them to do. Because yes. you want, the, I mean. The, you, uh, you would be far rather hurt by them which ignored. means that they would be attending to you mm-hmm. then they're uh, then being ignored by them which mm-hmm. is what they do here they have power to hurt they could say something cutting to you but they won't even invest the energy in doing that yeah. you're nothing to them yeah so i think we can make that even stronger with the second line because they do not do the thing they most do show. They're showing it. They're, they're showing the they're thing. They're lovable. They're showing lovableness. And what they do not do is love. Is that because they lack courage? It's... That um, is, they don't might, have the courage to hurt? Yeah. It's the, I, I think Shakespeare doesn't say what the uh, character of their failure is, but it seems to me it could be interpreted in two ways. One is that they're without feeling. Mm -hmm. They're stones, which is certainly not a compliment Mm -hmm. to be a stone. And the other one is that they are too inhibited. Mm -hmm. In other words, they don't express themselves. That's not the interesting one. The interesting one is that they have the superiority of a stone over a living being, namely the stone doesn't care, the stone doesn't uh, uh, hurt anybody unless it happens to fall on you. Um, and so they are without uh, ill will, without interest, without intention. And to the object of that or the non-object of it, that's worse than anything else. Okay, yeah. Utter lack 
of interest. So that's one possibility that they're deficient in in uh, say expressive in responsiveness. Yeah, expressive yeah. feeling. Yes. Or in capacity to love. Yeah. Or um, simply in responsiveness. In res yeah. But the fourth line, you know, that word temptation uh, uh, suggests it's, it might be virtue, that they don't fall prey to the normal temptations that people have. That is yeah. the virtue of chastity. Of, yes, but um, I, think, I think that is one uh, version of it that we are to understand. But what it makes... But it makes that quatrain so interesting because there's a kind of rebellion in it. Yeah, yeah. That is to say, everybody else would say, you should be slow to be tempted. I say, in matters of love, that's not a virtue, mm -hmm. that's a vice. Yeah. And notice it's temptation slow. That doesn't mean temptation foolproof. Yeah. 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 And it means being unresponsive. And being unresponsive in matters of love is not... Uh, not of a virtue. Yeah. Um, there's, is there another possibility here that this person, this beautiful, dignified, probably aristocratic young man, that the speaker of this poem finds himself admiring and maybe in love with, that this person is is doing those things, but secretly hidden? It doesn't look like he is, but there must be something going on, perhaps now or in the future, that it's a kind of hypocrisy. Yes. You know, that they're, they're um, appearing not to do something. It could, it could be that it's a deliberate inhibition, whether from hip hypocrisy or, or embarrassment. <clears throat> but uh, I think that the speaker thinks that this is not something that ought to be uh, admired. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. the, the comparison of the person, persons or person undress, uh, addressed here, undressed, <laughs> addressed yeah. here, um, is um, there's, there's something difficult about it. I've read this poem with students and they often don't understand what is going on. And if I may take a minute, I will ask them whether they've had the following experience mm -hmm. of the unmoved mover, who, as you know, in Aristotle is God himself. Mm -hmm. um, I say, imagine down at our dock, there is a, I'm talking to a boy, to okay. a young man. Mm -hmm. uh, Imagine there is a young woman uh, in a bathing suit, uh, sunning herself, lying on a towel. And imagine yourself standing on the terrace up at the college and you're looking down. She's asleep. She isn't moving. What happens? Slowly, you go down the steps. You have to go walk around the dining hall and down the lawn. What is, has happened? Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the case of an unmoved mover in this poem. Yeah. Let me, can I add something to that? Uh, who moving others 
plural. So yeah. there are multiple young men yes. viewing this beautiful body. You're absolutely right. Body. Okay, so, so put but, two or three on that terrace. Okay, so, but then what is that beautiful, in this case, woman supposed to do? Well, she's asleep to begin with. Okay, so she, so, so, so she wakes up. She wakes up, and uh, I think, and there's this poem left yeah, by her side. I think she should put her jacket on. <laughs> uh, but isn't that so? Like what's happening in the second line? That do not do the thing they most do show. She's been showing yes, herself, yes. and now she. Puts yeah. the jacket on. Well, in, in that case, she can no longer be blamed yeah. because she no longer shows it. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> I also have this this problem in mind. I mean, when there are multiple... So you're a very beautiful person, man or woman. There are lots of people who love you. Um, maybe you're aware of it. Oh, um, of course you are. You're aware of it? Okay. What do you do? Pick one and say no to all the others? Pick several? Pick one at a time and, and move through several over time? What is the beautiful person? What's, what's the law that governs that beauty? Um, and maybe we need to get deeper into the poem to fully address yes, that. Yes, yeah. But uh, isn't there a problem there? Isn't that part of for, this, for the, the problem uh, of the sonnet? Of, for, the, uh, for those that have power to hurt. It, that's their problem, right? Well, that's the hurt, right? Yeah. You pick one, not others, the others are hurt. Yes. Or you move around, then there's jealousy. Yeah, and uh, I think the poem has an opinion about that, or rather Shakespeare has an opinion about it. Uh, you should hurt rather than uh, withdraw and uh, be unresponsive. Yeah. And I was, I think the poem... Uh, poem says something very, very strange. It says, it's more humane to hurt than to ignore. Yeah, I think that's right. That is maybe initially counterintuitive because you it, think you shouldn't it, hurt people. Well, it, it sounds un, you know, sort of yeah. counter to, to virtuous behavior, yeah. but what's virtue got to do yeah. with love? Yeah. By the way, I think I've mentioned the, this to you before, but now, he did write a, a, a play about this, this very problem. Yeah, you said. Measure for Measure, yeah, yeah. where the two main characters, one's yeah. a man, one's a woman, Angelo yeah. and Isabel, yeah. both have power to hurt yeah. because they're both in their ways very attractive and virtuous. And a woman wants to go to a convent, yeah. which is you know where maybe such people are tempted to go. But it, it's almost a tragedy because their, their power to hurt and wanting to do none turns out to cause great hurt anyway. And Louis, I have to tell you that if you tell me to read something, I want to read it. And I was on the brink of reading it when I decided that in preparation for our conversation, I just better read <laughs> the sonnets once, once yes. again. I can tell by the marginalia. <laughs> yeah, you can tell by my marginalia. Yeah. Shall we, um, can I point out one other thing yeah. that I think is really interesting in the opening quatrain, that word thing. In the second line, yes, you know, do not do the thing they yeah. most do show. Yes. Um, now you've been saying that the thing is loving back. Can we love making? Yeah. Sex. Yeah, sex. 
Okay. Among other things, yes. Okay, yes. And the reason that the possibility that it means six uh, is to be taken seriously is that when we come to the end of the poem, there's an implication that sex... Indeed, the, yeah. Yeah. the word thing yeah. is going to come yeah. back yeah. At, in the final yeah. couplet with a strong implication yeah. of, 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 something, of something quite physically... Uh, dangerous. Uh, dangerous yeah. and... Uh, yeah. um, well, we'll get there. Uh, so, let's do the next quatrain. Yes. If we're ready. Yes. Um, so you, you want to read it again? So the, the first part yeah. also? No, just, no, it's just it's the, the quatrain second, yeah, we're talking yeah. about. So I was just going to remind us, we haven't yet gotten the main verb. We've just got they, that, who, da-da-da. Now we finally get it. They rightly do inherit heaven's graces. Okay, there it is. And husband nature's riches from expense. They are the lords and owners of their faces, others but stewards of their excellence. Yes. Um, can I mention one thing right off that I yeah, that please. kind of interests <clears throat> me and delights me? That word expense. A husband, nature's riches from expense. Yes. There's one other poem. This is just a matter of fact. Of the 154, which, like this poem, is impersonal. That is, it's not an I poem and a the poem, which all the others are. But it has this tone of impersonal authority, just describing a certain kind of, in this case, person, uh, but in that other case, it's one sonnet 129, it's about lust. Yes. Opening line, just the opening line. Yeah. The expense of, of spirit, spirit and a waste, waste of shame, shame is lust in and, action. Uh, and the, it, and it's, it's the same kind of t tone as this, an yes. impersonal, authoritative description yes. of a certain condition. Yes, and which made me um, uh, immediately think that expense is a double entendre here. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it means both um, an expenditure and it means uh, the, <clears throat> uh, it, it's, it's thinking of uh, intercourse. Yes, yeah. indeed. Husbanding nature's riches. From expense, and yeah. What would yeah. nature's, again, I think Aristotle yeah. comes to mind. Yes. Nature in the, in the, you know, deepest, truest sense are right. living things who are most natural when they're reproducing. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's being strange word, though, because the husband something, uh, it, it, you know, the, there's tension there. I mean, to husband something, you think that you're, you're, you're helping it to yeah. grow. It's like gardening or... Yes. or and then uh, it turns out that your relation... Uh, that this is their relation to themselves, but the relation of uh, the others, others but stewards of their excellence, is that of servants or even slaves. Yeah, yeah. So others, <coughs> others gets picked up from the first quatrain, you know, who moving others are themselves a stone. These others are now become stewards. Yes, which, of, which means that they're simply uh, 
either paid or unpaid caretakers. Mm -hmm. And okay, so what about that first line of the second quatrain? I mean, that we sort of skipped right over, but I'm struck by they rightly do inherit heaven's graces. Uh, yes. Why is this word right in there? That, that, yeah. that seems to be an affirmation yes. of this person's I being. I think this carries on the sort of rebellious and counterintuitive claim of the first quatrain, namely that one should hurt. Mm. And they inherit nature's graces by hurting. Wait a minute. So they, they're hurting in any case, or they are, they. Well, are, if the, if they're beloved, they should respond. Okay. And they rightly do inherit nature's or heaven's, heaven's graces. If, uh, if they're. But they're not responding. If they're not responding, yeah, I'm sorry. So I'm is contradicting that myself that, here. Is that, yeah. yeah. They rightly do inherit heaven's graces and husband nature's, nature's riches nature's from, from expense. expense. Yeah, no, no, you're right. That's so they, they, you know, that idea of inherit inheritance, I think, goes with riches and then goes with the third line in that quatrain, owners, you know, lords and owners. There's some sense yes. of, of just having this inherited possession. Which, which, which turns are, those who are dependent on uh, the kindness into uh, servants, into, uh, I mean, stewards are, are not equals. Yeah. yeah. So all others have now been really lowered as yes. they've been. So in this quatrain, the they maybe reaches its maximum elevation. That is, they have yeah. heaven's grace. Yeah. And everyone else is a kind of slave yeah. to them. Yes. To their excellence. Uh, now, I do love the rhyme, graces and faces. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, that image of being the owner of your own face. Uh, yes. The Lord and owner of your own face. What do you yes. make of that? Well, I make of that, among other things, that uh, you, if you're in love with that person, you depend on access, you depend on being allowed to be with them, on seeing them, they've got the control. Mm. They can remove or, or expend. Uh, they can allow you to look at them or they can be unwilling to see you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Are you free for dinner tomorrow? No, not tomorrow. Well, maybe the day after? No, no, not really this week. Maybe next week, call me. Mm. That kind of that thing. That kind of thing, yeah. 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 I was wondering if, if you'd go this far, though, that uh, who, do, who does one's face belong to? Because yeah. I don't see my face unless I'm looking in a mirror. Yes. It's what I show You've never, the... never seen yourself, actually. Right, yeah. right. It's what I... Sh... Other people see yes. my face. Yes. It's what I show to them, what I show to the world. It's Absolutely. A kind of, it's the connection between Absolutely. you and me right now. Yeah. So to so, say it's... I am lord and owner of it is to, in a way to well, sort of go Well, I have in, in, in this respect that I can um, 
keep you from seeing me. I'm not available. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. That and that. Uh, and that way, I can dispose of my face. But once I'm in your presence, your face, my face belongs to you. That's it. To look yeah. at, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So something in this third quatrain is is startling because we yes. we really shift. Notice it's a it's a total shift. Total shift. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we leave society and we enter nature. So the summer's flower is to the summer sweet, though to itself it only live and die. But if that flower with base infection meet, the basest weed outbraves his dignity. Now that sounds like a dire threat. Yes, it sounds that way to me too. I love how he picks up base, basest, outbrave. Yeah. Outbrave. So and then finally, uh, uh, not quite finally, but. No. Just before the end, infection. Infection? Yeah. I think that goes back to temptation with the shun, the yeah. three-syllable shun and, word. And the, uh, look, to put it sort of boldly and maybe a little bit uh, brutally, but uh, among other things he's saying, you sleep around, yeah. before long you're going to be sick. Yeah. Well, I think the image is actually, it is quite bold and in a way, since you're inviting this, uh, explicit. That is, we have a flower. Flowers grow upwards. They're vertical. They want the sun. Base is low. Yes. And weeds are low, and they spread out horizontal. So we have an image yes, of a yeah, flower right. meeting with base infection. Yeah. Well, and meat is a pun. Over. Yes. Meat. Yes. M-E-E-T, M-E-A-T. Yes. So it's a, it's a physical meeting with meat, down low, horizontal, rip recumbent. So we're talking about sex. Yes. The flower has been... Uh, has been know. infected. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Do you think he's talking about sex itself or venereal disease? Yeah, or venereal disease. I venereal think disease. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's the... Uh, uh, well, let's, let's throw in the couplet now. Okay. Um, For sweetest things turn sourest by their deeds... Yes. Lilies that fester smell far, far worse, worse than, than weeds. weeds. Yeah. In, in other words, the more um, high-toned you think you are, the more uh, exquisite you think you are, the worse your <clears throat> corruption will be. Ah. It's what I think he's saying. Think of yourself as really exquisite, as really uh, belonging to the upper classes, either in intellect or or in actual <clears throat> wealth. If then you go to the bad, you're far worse than if a more okay. vulgar, more ordinary per person has that uh, goes that way. So. You know, the higher the pretension to godlike uh, immobility, yeah. the greater the fall to be expected. Yes. What, what do you make of that word, fester? Well. Uh, and lily. <coughs> Lilies that fester. Why do you choose lily? Oh, 
that's, you know, we said earlier on that he covers from Aristotle to the Bible mm -hmm. in this poem. And, uh, you know, lilies of the field, mm -hmm. they neither toil nor do they spin. That's from Matthew. And I think these are those lilies. Yes, so something that's been sort of spiritually exalted. That That's too good for ordinary labor, yeah. too good for ordinary householding. Mm -hmm. But if it uh, begins to be corrupt and goes on being corrupt, that is Festus, mm -hmm. then it is far less attractive yeah. than an ordinary weed. Yeah, I, I think that's right. That's one one part of it. I w wonder if there's another sense, since Lily's, and this comes from a play I know we, that you love. I want to say, so, Louis, I'll always say yes to another sense in Shakespeare. <laughs> Macbeth, thou lily-livered boy, yes. he says, yes. drawing attention to cowardice. To cowardice, yes. Yeah. So that goes back to the opening, that those that have the power to hurt and will do none. There's something, as you were saying, something cowardly, perhaps, about not wanting to accept that if yes. you're going to inspire love, that's the world of hurt. And I if you don't want to do hurt, you're, you're, not, you're not being strong and realistic about what love is. And I think that's an absolutely common experience. Um, I think most of us have had the experience of being adored, pursued by somebody who was of absolutely no interest to us mm -hmm. and never could be. And how you behave then really casts a light on who you are, whether you manage that with grace and tact or brutally and gracelessly it's, I think this poem is about that and says that then you're really to be condemned. Mm -hmm. That yeah. you smell bad. You do, yeah. It smells yeah. far worse than, than weeds. weeds. Yeah. yeah. Well, you were saying a moment ago that um, one of the values of reading Shakespeare uh, is learning how to speak. Yes. Learning how to express yourself. Yes. And, and, and you don't do it, even do you if you that, don't look, that itself takes courage? Yeah, but look, yes, that's exactly the right question, which I was going to uh, sorry, answer before ask. Because a, you don't necessarily learn how to speak, who can speak like Shakespeare, but you learn that you can speak, that there is speech. Mm -hmm. You have to find your own. You have to find it in contemporary terms. You have to find it either in your native language or yours. As for me in my second mm -hmm. language, uh, uh, that's, that's the real lesson. Not to learn actual vocabulary or, or grammar. That's not what I mean. I mean to know that you should and could say it well. And if you say it well, you've in some way mastered it. Mm -hmm. And then you're 
the mistress, the master mistress yeah. of your, yeah. your, your own body. You know, I was thinking of Orlando in As You Like It. You know, he falls in love, writes sonnets, and posts them on trees. Yes. They're not particularly good sonnets, no. so you have to risk, <laughs> yes, you have funny, to risk yeah. Yeah. sounding, you know, to a well-trained ear, yes. sounding foolish. But that's where the courage comes yeah. in. And to, that's yeah. a half of it. The other half of it is that if you're and really more the one in the poem, <clears throat> if you're res the recipient of really dopey love poetry, and most yeah. <laughs> love poetry, it's part of showing your humanity to deal with it in such a way that the person who perpetrated that poetry doesn't feel uh, just, uh, I don't know, just insulted. Mm, but yeah. to, to deal with it in some way that saves the dignity of the one who, who I think of poetry as being perpetrated by people. <laughs> Well, that's I know that's one of the questions you're interested in is where do where do the words come from? Yes, you know, that, where does one get the words? Where does one get the words? Yeah. I mean, imagine being the the inspiration of a love poem like this beautiful person, and the poem is given to you and it's bad, and you think, oh, I don't want to be the cause of bad yes. poems <laughs> propagating in the world. You, yes. know, you really should keep this to yourself. You yeah. know? But then we're back to we're back to yeah. the problem. You know, yeah. You have the power to hurt, and you don't want to cause it. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. You, you know, know, I think maybe in this, uh, in the later last century, in this century, uh, people don't write poetry necessarily; they write letters. It goes exactly the same for letters. You receive a letter that. Uh, uh, reveals things to you you'd rather not know, that makes demands on you you can't yeah. meet. You've got a real problem for your own humanity, how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And I think if you deal badly, uh, impatiently, crudely with it, uh, you'll be sorry for a long time, maybe forever. Yeah. I should know. You should know. <laughs> well, you still write letters, right? Real letters. Yeah, but... <laughs> Longhand, right? Yeah, but <laughs> not love letters. Not love letters. No. Uh, if have, if the occasion aro arose, I'd probably flee to the phone. Have you ever written a love poem? Oh, yes. <laughs> but not kept them in no. my <laughs> uh, defense. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because that's, I mean, that's another question that occurs to me. Why, why a poem? Why a sonnet? I mean, yes. couldn't one say this sonnet 94 in the following prosaic words? Um, look, beautiful young man, uh, people are falling in love with you because of your beauty and your demeanor. And, you know, maybe you should uh, respond more humanly uh, to that uh, emotion that you're causing, or, or something like yeah. that. Well, I think one... Why, why write is a poem? It, is, it, is the question, why write poetry, yeah. or why write sonnets? Yeah. 
uh, in other words, is is there something particular about sonnets well, such yeah. that Shakespeare could write 153 to two people? Yeah. Well, the sonnet has a form. You were saying at the beginning, yeah. it's got a logic. There's a logic got, here. And, and it's a wonderful logic because you have three occasions to develop something, naming the three quatrains. And then you've got a uh, an epigram at the end in which you, uh, the whole thing is, is sort of condensed into a general observation. Mm -hmm. It's a, a sonnet is a particularly beautiful essay. Okay, so the form intensifies. Yeah. Uh, the form, the meter, the rhyme intensifies the think, feeling and the thoughts. So, so it's and more powerful. You, you really have to think out what, how you move through the three quatrains, at what point you might shift totally the way this one shifts uh, after the first two. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have to think very hard about what you want the lesson to be. There's no uh, hesitation in this poetry about lesson teaching. Each yeah, poem but, yeah. ends with a lesson. Do you think part of the reason you write this sonnet, why Shakespeare's writing all of these sonnets, is to be loved by the recipient, it's, by the reader? He's got several reasons, right? I think I'm, look, I don't usually like the rhetoric of power. You know, everybody nowadays, not everybody, but Many people are interested in power relations, you know, empowering themselves and others. But I think maybe the primary uh, purpose of writing the poetry is to be in power over the beloved. You, yeah. where would you be mm -hmm. if it wasn't for my poetry? And that's absolutely true. Where would they be? Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Mr. W.H. Or, or, or a woman, whoever she, whether she's blonde or black or haired. Well, um, that gives the poem a whole new flavor to me. Wow. Because then he, the poet, becomes the one with the power to hurt. Yes. And because he's speaking impersonally yes. now, he's not using that power to hurt. Yeah. But he could. Yeah. He could make it personal. Continuing the Conversation is a 20-episode web and podcast series produced by the St. John's College Communications Office in partnership with 12FPS and A Warehouse Productions. To continue the conversation with St. John's College, which offers a bachelor's degree in liberal arts, in-person and online master's degrees in liberal arts and Eastern classics, as well as Summer Academy for High School students and Summer Classics for Lifelong Learners, Go to sjc.edu.